I think he slays always to restore. Um, and just like he slays your old self to resurrect a new one. Yeah, I've heard that before. Like he's, his judgment's always like for restoration. And I, I agree. But what you see in the Old Testament whenever God like slays to restore is that he's like, look, I'm going to leave you a remnant, but I'm destroying everything in here, everybody that's in here that's not like repenting. There's like a small remnant that follows Yahweh, and that's who makes it through the judgment. That's who's saved. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Things You Don't Hear in Church podcast. My name is Ethan. My name is Derry. And guys, go check us out on all the social medias. We exist everywhere, everywhere. on the internet. Not actually. There's some websites that we don't exist because it's bad and immoral to exist there. Yes. Those which will not be named. Yeah. YouTube, Thanks, Instagram, TikTok, <laughs> immoral places. Don't yeah, go there. Terrible, immoral places. Uh, but we're all over on, yeah, iTunes. Uh, not iTunes. iTunes again, exist. iTunes again. It's on like autopilot in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Apple Music. It's been Apple Music since before we started this podcast. And yeah. I still say iTunes. Five years ago or whatever. Um, YouTube, Spotify, TikTok, Instagram. Mm. Go check us out. Uh, give us a like, a follow. Send it to people who need to hear the truth. Mm. And um, yeah, we have a really exciting show to for you guys today. So Yeah. So today we have Jonathan Morasco. He has a ministry called um, Original Glory Ministries. And I've had this problem the last like six months where I I don't like go on TikTok a lot. But when I do, I just will watch people's lives and I just like will have it on in the background. It's probably not the best habit to have. And I don't have a thousand followers. I have like two because I just <laughs> like videos and don't make any content. But I'm always like, frick, I want to go on these lives. Like, I want to talk to these people because they're having such good conversations. And uh, I, I scrolled through and found one of his lives one time. And I was like, wow, this is super interesting. And uh, stayed for an hour, an hour and a half or something. And I've seen a few of them since then. Um, he's got a TikTok. He's got an Instagram. I don't know if there's anything I'm missing that you have a YouTube channel or something. Um, but that's where I've seen him both those places. But he makes cool content, uh, has really fun lives. And so we're having him on today to talk about the church. Um, should you go to church? Do Christians need to go to church? All that kind of stuff. Uh, but do we miss anything? Anything you want to plug? Are you an author? You have any movies? <laughs> You want to? No, none of that. Working on a movie. Working on a movie right now. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, you you nailed it. Uh, happy to be here, guys. Um, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Yeah, absolutely. So we were on, or I was on one of your lives a little while ago, or maybe I just saw one of your videos, and you're talking about church yeah. and how you don't go to church. Um, and I think that's a fascinating topic. I think, or I don't think. I know. I have a ton of friends who grew up Christian and over COVID, whether it was because they didn't want to go anymore or they saw problems with it morally or they were hurt by someone in the church. They just don't go to church anymore, but they still identify as Christian. Um, and they're genuinely cool people. And I had a, had a few friends who had kind of done that before COVID and stuff just growing up, but it was a, a pretty big thing after COVID, I think, to do that. Um, and so we wanted to have a conversation about it and see what your reasoning is. We have like our reasonings for like why we think Christians should go. And so we could have a conversation and go back and forth and and hear what you have to say. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Um, I grew up in the church. I grew up non-denominational mainly. Um, went to a Baptist school as well. Nice. So kind of grew up in that environment my whole life. Um, and yeah, I guess similar thing. Uh, maybe shortly after COVID, when things started opening up again. Um, yeah, just just stopped going. Um, hmm. So yeah. Had you gone to the, the same discussion. church for a long time or kind of gone around? A lot of different ones, actually. Um, growing up, it was, like I said, they were all non-denominational. Um, and then I went to a Baptist school, oddly enough. Hmm. But um, 
Yeah, all non-denominational and just mega churches. You know yeah. what I mean? Okay. Um, one of them was smaller. One of them was like a smaller non-denominational church, kind of like the Bible says it. That is it. I believe it. That kind of theology. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of it was kind of the mega church background. And my issue with it, I know there's a lot of church hurt. I know there's a lot of abuse. I know mm. there's a, a lot of scandal. All of that. And mm. um, I think there's, you know, that that certainly needs light shined on it and needs to be condemned for the disgusting nature that it is. Mm. Um, my issue was always theological. Hmm. Um, I, I never really felt like I fit in, which was fine. Um, I think within non-denominational churches, I'm just going to say the evangelical church as a whole, yeah. I think clicks are a big deal. Hmm. Um, and, and I noticed the clicks, um, thankfully was never really a part of the clicks, which was good. Hmm. Um, but was also bad because you felt very lonely in a place you're supposed to feel very welcome. Can you explain clicks for people um, who may not know what, what that is? Yeah. So the clicks, the clicks are, um, kind of that, you know, you go in, everybody's welcome. Um, you know, they want to be your friends, want to be buddy, buddy, but then ultimately, you know, there's plans afterwards and you don't really get invited <laughs> to that, or you're not really even in the thought to get invited to yeah, that. Yeah. Or, you know, just as human nature is, we kind of clump in groups, right? Mm. Um, and I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with, you know, having friends and things like that. But I think it could get to a point where um, those groups are just really the only people you hang out with, the only people you invite to things, the only people you, you know, really gravitate towards on Sunday mornings, when in reality, you know, the entire community there is your body. So mm. um it can make people feel very left out. Um, and I think that was my experience for a lot of it. And again, I guess that's like my church hurt, I guess. Um, I also interned, um, started Christian college at Hillsong, which is hilarious. Wow. Um, um, preached a few times at church. Um, all of that super close with the, with the pastor, um, at Hillsong or somewhere else. No, no, no. So it was, I don't really want to. Okay, so I will. You don't so have to Amplify. Say it. Um, <laughs> okay. It's a Pittsburgh church, Amplify. Um, and they're a Hillsong family church. So they're like one of the few Hillsong family churches. And um, huh. I interned there and preached there and was pretty close to the pastor. Um, like went to all the leadership meetings and all of that. And um, I, I think my main issue at first was this, this very um, watered down version of legalism at first. Mm. Um, where it's like, they're going to give you enough of the love of God just so you can swallow the legalism that they give you. Um, almost like it's a pill and the water is just the love of God, but the pill itself is a legalism. And once, you know, it sits in your body for a little while, it starts to kill you. Um, and a lot of focus on performance, a lot of focus mm. on, you know, which is, is, um, I think living a holy lifestyle is, is great, but I do think, um, we can cross a threshold where legalism becomes, um, you know, the primary focus. So sure. um, I saw a lot of that. I saw a lot of clicks, you know, heard a lot of the abuse and things like that. And um, like I said, the, the main tipping point was mainly theological for me and it always has been. But hmm. um, as far as like feelings being hurt and all of that, I, I don't think that's a proper reason to leave church um, <clears throat> because, you know, everybody, everybody messes up. Like people hmm. make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Um, but I think my main issue is theologically um, sitting there in the pews being told that you need to tithe for God to bless you. Mm. Um, basically the, the hierarchy of basically saying, you know, that this is the person you can listen to and they're the one with the authority. And mm. um, I guess I just, I just always had an issue with that. So I mm. apologize. That was a little bit of a rant there. No, that's good. That's a little good. bit of a backstory. 
That's really good. Are there any other like the- theological issues? We can go into the ones you mentioned, but is there anything else that like, yeah. you want to mention before we get into it? I'm sure there's there's a lot of things. For sure. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. So I'm a Christian universalist. Um, I think I think my main issue is just the atonement theories, right? Um, hmm. PSA, penal substitutionary atonement. That is probably my big one, hmm. um, specifically in the evangelical Western church. Hmm. Um, that has to be the most dominant atonement theory, for at sure. least in the Western church. Hmm. Um, and evangelical, that is sure, always the undertone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that is the undertone that you grow up with, um, even just in Sunday school and growing up in the church. Like, that's just that's just Jesus came to save you from an angry God. And mm. um, there's kind of this chasm between you and God and the cross builds the bridge. And um, that kind of theology, that kind of framework, I think is really destructive. And I think it certainly waters down a loving God. Mm. Um, and and obviously the issue of eternal hell for me is a, is a pretty big one, but mm. I would say PSA is bigger. I think PSA just kind of bleeds into the doctrine of eternal conscious torment pretty mm. easily. Um, but yeah, I would say those two for sure. Hmm. Um, what, so, what atonement yeah. theory would you hold to or, or understanding of atonement? Uh, if not, cause I think yeah. a lot of people listening, we've gone over some atonement theories before, um, but not yeah. super in depth. Yeah. Like, so some of the audience might only know, um, like the one that you sure. described, right? So, but do you hold like Chris's yeah. Victor or is there like just a yeah. one that you like yourself? Yeah. Chris is Victor for sure. That's probably the main one. Cool. Um, Respect. I would say that that is the cornerstone. Um, and Can you, you just see that Chris all Victor for, for those who don't know. Yeah. Christ triumphed over death. It's, mm. it's definitely this, um, very much so triumphant view of God and mm. his, um, success. Um, you can kind of link it into what was called recapitulation as well, which was also an early um, atonement theory, which I would argue is still one that just isn't talked about much. For sure, for sure. Basically that Jesus came to recapture you from Adam and recapture you from that condemnation mm-hmm. and recapture humanity from death and that he succeeded in doing that. So it's, it's very much so a focal point on Jesus triumphed over sin and death um, and the grave and he won right? Um, and that he is the ultimate victor, right? So that's, that's kind of the cornerstone. That's the triumph, but that's the good news, right? Um, we're starting with a victorious God, um, instead of a God that, you know, had to kill his own son to forgive you, which, um, so there's that, um, like I said, recapitulation, I I do think they go hand in hand. Um, that one goes in a little bit more detail. It kind of follows from first Corinthians 15, where Paul talks a lot about, and Adam all dies, so in Christ all will be made alive. Mm-hmm. Also in Romans 5, he kind of follows a, a similar sentiment, just a little bit deeper. Um, this idea that, you know, Adam screwed everybody. <laughs> um, and Jesus came to recapture humanity from the grip of death. So mm-hmm. um, so if Adam was successful in condemning everyone, which certainly the Western church would agree that, mm-hmm. you know, we're all born sinners, um, and that's because of Adam, well, then certainly Christ is way more successful in bringing everybody back to righteousness. So mm. um, I think recapitulation is huge. And I think just as far as like a historical backdrop, um, more through like a historical lens would be scapegoat theory. Um, mm. Probably not one of the main ones. It's more of a newer one by Rene Girard. Um, he was a French philo- or a German philosopher, I apologize. Mm. Um, and it basically this very much so, um, there's the Romans and there's the Jews and there's a lot of tension between the two of them. And basically to ease the tension, there's a scapegoat where they pin everything on this one person to try right. to ease the tension. Right. Um, hence us placing our sins on him. There's also some reference in Leviticus to a scapegoat. Absolutely. Um, Clear so, image. Yeah. Those Leviticus. would be like the three. Yeah. Those would be like the three that I hmm. would 
I would yeah. try to. Well, I know we could we could go into all of those. That would be like kind of a podcast in itself to just like talk about those. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking we should have you on again to talk about penal yeah. substitutionary atonement because yeah, yeah, I think it. In my mind, I'm like, like we can have all all of them, right? Like they can all be true atonement theories in my mind, uh, which would be a fun conversation, but yeah. not the conversation about sure. the church. So I guess my question to you sure. is then if you would you have to find a church that like agrees with you on all of those theological points to be able to attend or like where's the, the hold up there? Like why is the theological disagreement uh, like a thing for you that's so big that you wouldn't go to a church anymore? Yeah, I, I don't think it needs to necessarily agree on all of those points. I do think PSA is pretty big. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it, it definitely makes the father out to be the bad guy. Um, it makes it a very judicial system, um, mm. a very legal transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, when in reality, the father looks like Jesus. Jesus came to reveal yeah. the heart of the father. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. He said, I and the father are one. Everything I do, I first saw the father do. Um, I came to do the will of the Father. I mean, I, Jesus says it time and time again, right? He came to reveal a loving Father that I believe um, the Old Testament authors didn't completely paint the picture of at times. Um, and Jesus is the Word of God, in my opinion. Jesus is what the Father looks like. Um, do you think the Old Testament so is I, the Word of God too? <clears throat> I like, think it's inspired. Okay. Um, I believe it's inspired. I don't believe it's inerrant. Um, I don't believe it's it's it perfectly paints a picture of who god is at face value what is um, what does inerrant mean to I, you because it means different things so, to, to both of us yeah no contradictions face value mm-hmm. um it, it, so i think allegorically there's a lot of inspiration there and i think mm-hmm. a lot of it's designed to be read allegorically um like for example like i'm a huge fan of saint gregory of nyssa he was like a third fourth mm-hmm. century church father and he wrote a book called The Life of Moses, where he goes through um, basically, you know, uh, um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. He goes through these books and he goes through like the allegorical meanings that he reads. Mm-hmm. And that viewpoint of, um, you know, a lot of the early church was, you know, we're going to look at it in the light of Jesus. And I think that's how we need to read the Old Testament as Christians. I think that's also a lot of my issue with churches. We're just throwing a Bible. Like, go ahead, read it. Just just read the Bible. Yeah. And um, I think that creates a lot of atheists i think that creates a lot of uh deconstruction which is good in a sense um i think it just creates a lot of doubt hmm. um instead of you know teaching people you know here's who jesus is hmm. uh, maybe directing them to him first and then being able to go back to the old testament and read it in the light of christ which hmm. um i think once read in the light of christ the full inspiration comes to light um, mm-hmm. I think my issue is just when we read the Old Testament at face value and say, okay, tell me who God is, and you just read it at face value, um, I don't think you're getting the full picture at all. Um, I think when you look at Jesus and you say, tell me who God is, and then you go back to the writings mm-hmm. of Moses or Daniel or David, um, you know, it comes together in a whole new light and yeah. the true inspiration can can really breathe. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's really interesting because I would think that the Old Testament, and in my studies, the, when I read the Old Testament, I'm currently reading through it right now, um, yeah. I do actually see an incredibly loving God and like back to like the penal substitution idea, this might fall under that type of category. But the way I look at everything is like the Bible talks about how everything in the universe is God's, right? This is God's kingdom. Earth is the Lord's and all that's in it. And in his kingdom, there's rules, right? And just like in America, there's rules. And so if you break the law, there's going to be a punishment for breaking the law. If I murder someone in America, you go to jail, Right if you break the commands of God, there's a punishment of sorts, you know, that would, and I think that actually reveals a loving God. And I, 
and I, so I, I when I hear some of the things you're saying, some some like I don't know about like alarms, but like some th- questions come up of like, oh, like I've never read the Old Testament and thought like this shows an angry God. I would say you haven't. We, no, well, he's angry at sin, yeah, but have. he's not. He's not. His nature isn't angry. Yeah. Like Exodus clearly says he's slow to anger, but we talked about this last week. But as a kid, you can't read the Bible in the Old Testament and not be like, well, well, as a kid, you don't understand. You also can't read a textbook about quantum physics and understand. Yeah, you it. just said you never, so I was confused. Well, I was just saying that okay, okay, as okay. a term, okay. right? Not being literal. But basically, <laughs> all I'm saying is like uh, the Old Testament in my mind doesn't reveal a God who's necessarily angry. It reveals a God who's been incredibly patient with his people and gave them hundreds and hundreds of years to get it right. And then finally executes justice because their sin has gone too much and, and they're breaking their, their, hmm. it's, it's now like way far gone. It's like, okay, you guys got to I got to bring the punishment, but I got to bring the punishment, but bring the punishment. it's like, Hey, I gave you like 700 years to repent. And, and I, it's like incredibly patient, incredibly loving. So it's really interesting. Cause I, sure. yeah, I, yeah. There's parts where it's like awkward. Like, God, why did you make Hosea marry a prostitute and then do that? And it's like, well, there's all pictures. Like why did the prophets have to, have these really hard lives. And I mean, the Bible says in the new Testament that all who desire to live godly will suffer. And so I just don't, yeah, I just don't read the Bible and see a God that's angry. I see if you understand like God is, God has set up his laws for the flourishing of humanity and the humans have broken their laws and rejected God time and time again, time and time again. The bad guy isn't God. The bad guy is humans rejecting God constantly. Yeah, no, I certainly understand that. I guess my question would be, um, what would be your take on God supposedly killing all of the firstborns in Egypt? Like, what would be the uh, the mm-hmm. law they broke? Yeah, um, I mean, I guess that'd be... For example. Yeah. Um, the Egyptians, like, what law did they break? I guess the firstborns, right? Because right. They're, they're innocent in all of this. So, like, why... why well, it depends would, on why how that? old they are, I guess, would be the case on if they're innocent or not. You can be a firstborn and be 30 years old and be a sinner. And if you've sinned, God being God can do what he wants with his creation. Mm. And so if he desires to execute, if he just decides to execute judgment on his creature who has broken his law, that's totally in his rights to do so. But also if the new, if, if it's a firstborn, who's a newborn, like we talked about this a couple weeks ago, I don't think newborns, mm-hmm. if they die, like any a, a young baby dies, I don't think they're damned to hell because they died before they could repent. That's not a view I hold. And so I would think that God sees all that and is like, ah, like, yeah, it's, it's okay. Like mm. I, like these babies, if they die, they're going to go to heaven. These people who have committed sins, they're just getting the judgment. You know what I mean? I think the image in the old, old Testament and a lot in the new Testament is always like of group salvation or group judgment. And so I think the individuals of, um, um, the individuals of, forget the place we're talking about uh egypt of egypt yes yeah, sorry um the individuals of egypt like it's not that it's just symbolic in my mind but it's like this is the the punishment that the group is representing and the group is worshiping like a false god which is pharaoh mm-hmm. um and there's so much imagery of their religion there <clears throat> but it's not about like the individual's um righteousness or unrighteousness but the group's which is the same with Israel, like God judges Israel over and over. And there are righteous people in Israel. Mm-hmm. And you can see even in uh, like some of the minor prophets, like Zechariah, uh, there are some some righteous people. And God's like, you're righteous, like others should also be righteous, but I'm going to purify you. And like the pure will remain and like the unpure will not remain. 
Um, and hopefully like some will mm-hmm. turn to me as well. And so I just think there's so much like group think when it comes mm-hmm. to the communication of the old Testament of like, there's either group salvation or group, uh, destruction. Cause like what you're yeah. doing, you're doing in yeah. a group. And with the whole Egyptian thing too, like people in Egypt did reject Pharaoh and go with the Israelites. It talks about that in the Bible, how True. some of the Egyptians were like, Hey, I'm out of here, bro. Yahweh's like, he's lit. I'm going over there. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, right. yeah, but I, Absolutely. did you want to reply yeah, to that no. at all? And then we got to, yeah, we no, talk I about appreciate the, your view more about the church yeah, too. I, definitely. I appreciate your view. I think, I think my, my main thing is, you know, I don't see, um, the old Testament authors, prophets, anybody having the Holy spirit abiding inside of them. Um, obviously the Holy spirit was given after Pentecost. Mm. Um, the Holy spirit may have been on them, but not inside of them. Um, so then the only other scenario, if it was perfectly inspired by God, when you read it, you know, you can learn the heart of God very easily at face value without diving any deeper, all that, um, would be, he possessed them, which then of course there goes free will. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, of course we would need a perfect translation as well too, which that's, I guess where Baptists get around is like, well, the King James, like, okay, <laughs> I'm not sure why we're picking that one, but okay. Yeah. Like bad you, one to do pick. you, um, weird flex, but okay. I'm picking the passion translation. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. That one is that one is to the T, right? That one is to the T. The, the author um, went to heaven. Translations. He he went to yeah, heaven and right. had a vision, dude. He he said it, and there he verified go. it in himself. So. I trust. Perfect. I trust. That's, that's all you need. It's like all those hell ones too that you see on YouTube. Yeah, like, yeah. It's just it's hilarious. Mm. Um, what translation do you guys read before we go into it? like what? What's CSB, like your main mostly, or do you use several? Uh, ESB, NASB, NLT. Those are all good ones I use. Nice. ESB, CSB mostly, nice. but I like <clears throat> I like thought for thought as well. So it depends on what I'm doing. Gotcha. Yeah, I I like the ESV quite a bit. It depends what I'm doing, right? If I'm yeah. just reading, like I'll read the ESV. Mm-hmm. But if it's for intense word study, it'll be like the Young's right, literal, yeah, literal translation. Everyone's favorite. The YLT. Right. Um, that one is is very very good. So. Uh, Love it. Yeah, I would I would agree with you on the Old Testament. I think you see a progression even for the Israelites of understanding who God is from the idea of yeah. of just Abraham knowing God, right? And it's a very henotheistic, and maybe some people would even call it polytheistic, like view of what gods are. And it evolves over yes. time, and pretty much all scholars, historians would agree that like the religion evolves. The Father is always like the top dog. You know what I mean? But it isn't until like the first century yeah. that you see, and maybe before that, you see it evolving into like a very monotheistic version of uh, like theism. And so That's for not true. No, it is true. Oh, the Old Testament. God says, I am God and there's no one besides me. Which is henotheism. What's that? What do you mean? What's... Henotheism is the, uh, is the version of there's one big like G God mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of little gods that people also like believe in. Sure. The New Testament probably paints that too. You can probably make a case for it. Uh, Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, but, an, but anyways, you, you do see like a, an evolution of the understanding of who the people of Israel see God as. From, You're saying like a reflection of like the, how people thought of God. Yeah, like, as he reveals himself more, right, mm-hmm. through them experiencing him, him delivering them, their view and understanding of him evolves, right? Mm-hmm. And it evolves all the way through to the New Testament. And our, it still evolves now because God is unlimited and we'll always kind of like see mm-hmm. new, like parts of who God is. But we can learn most of what we like really need to know about salvation and who God is through the Bible, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might want to explain the polytheistic statement a little bit just for our listeners, but before we get to that, yeah, yeah. Um, as far as like, does the old Testament perfectly reveal God? Like, and I think it does. Um, what do you make of that verse when Jesus is talking, he's resurrected and he's, he's talking to these people on the road to Emmaus and Luke, 
And it says that, mm-hmm. and talking about Jesus, and it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself and he, him being God. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Totally agree with that. Yeah. But you said that you totally don't think agree. the Old Testament um, accurately or perfectly does. Well, no, it's in the light of Jesus. It's in the light of Jesus, all things concerning himself, right? Mm-hmm. So he didn't just pick it up and say, here's what Moses has to say about God. He said, this is talking about me. Um, yeah, but he I is think God. a lot of times you have to dig a little bit deeper than face value to get to that point. Sure, but but um, Jesus being God, I think, right? I think, yeah, absolutely. But mm-hmm. his, the, like like we talked about, the progressive mm-hmm. revelation over time. I mean, to say that Abraham had a perfect understanding of God and everything he wrote is to a T, I think it's crazy. Um, yeah. Jesus is the word of God. Um, he's what God has to say. He's the visible image of the invisible God, as Paul says. Um, so how could they have known God, fully known God, um, without seeing Jesus? We have the benefit of at least seeing Jesus, who was the visible image of the invisible God. So he opened up all the things concerning himself. He interpreted it, right? So it didn't just read at face value, all the things concerning himself. And why didn't he do that even beforehand? Well, because the resurrection had then happened. Um, so it can all tie together to a beautiful triumph. Well, um, yeah, and this part's in the Old I, Testament. I think it's all right in the light of Christ. Okay, yeah. And this part's in the Old Testament where, at least I believe, it's it's Jesus appearing. You know, when the th- when when yeah. God appears to Abraham and Abraham's like, oh, I'm going to go make you some food. Mm. I think that is an incarnate God. Embodied Yahweh. Be Jesus. Yeah. Right? For sure. And so there's, a, yep. and there's the angel of the Lord that, like, kills a bunch of mm-hmm. evil people. And that would be, in my mind, I think, when, whenever the angel of the Lord is receiving worship in my mind that's jesus because hmm. there's sometimes the angel of the lord's like don't worship me and there's sometimes the angel of the lord receives worship and that's how you can know um like when he when mm-hmm. i think babylon came against israel with king hezekiah and it says the angel of the lord like wiped out like 150,000 of them mm-hmm. or caused some confusion and then they all killed themselves or something like that there's something going on there where god was orchestrating but i'd be curious what part of the old testament or maybe abraham's story because you said maybe abraham didn't see accurately what parts of the Old Testament don't reveal the Father perfectly? The yeah, any part, any parts of him that reveal him as angry and somebody who kills, um, because Jesus made it clear the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But was Jesus but never angry? Life. Oh, he certainly was. But with the te- the you know in the in the synagogue when um, the religious elites were oppressing those that were trying to get in, charging too high prices mm. for sacrifices. And of course he was mad about that, but he, you never see him being mad at a Gentile. Well, the, like, what can do you we do give one Revelation? example of him being upset with a Gentile? Well, in Revelation, I'm, I'm, Revelation, yeah. yeah, Revelation is mainly for AD seventy, um, mainly right. a lot of very historical things. Yeah, yeah, there's of a course. really good book called Reading Revelation Responsibly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's more so a triumph of Jesus, um, and I think anything that gets slain. It's the same thing with us, right? Like the old self needs to die to mm-hmm. resurrect the new self. Well, doesn't so Jesus say in Revelation, in universalism. Like, think of the father talks to Jesus and he's like, where have you come from? And he's like, I've returned from slaying my enemies and he's covered in blood. And it says the blood runs yep. through the streets because he's like slayed his enemy. You don't think that is about people. You yep. think that's about maybe sin and death. Yeah, I think it certainly could be sin and death, but I also think it can be our old selves right? Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily a physical sense, but our old selves needs to die. Like they, they do um, yeah. just to be resurrected to a new life. Like that's just what salvation is. Mm-hmm. The old you dies, the new you come. So um, I think that can certainly be a very symbolic thing, but um, also, yeah, absolutely. Something needs to die there, whether it be sin and death, which I do agree, like is the ultimate point, mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. the old self. 
Um, so that kind of very dark bloodshed picture, I think it certainly leads to an ultimate triumph, you know, which we could talk about another time with Revelation yeah. 21, 22, right. Jerusalem kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But right. um, yeah, I think, I think he slays always to restore. Um, and just like he slays your old self to resurrect a new one. Yeah, I've heard that before. Like he's, his judgment's always like for restoration. And I, I agree. But what you see in the Old Testament whenever God like slays to restore is that he's like, look, every, I'm going to leave you a remnant, but I'm destroying everything in here, everybody that's in here that's not like repenting. There's like a small remnant that follows Yahweh and that's who makes it through the judgment. That's who's saved but everyone else is totally destroyed. Mm-hmm. It's not like the sinner in Israel was sinning. God brought the judgment. They repented. And then he, they became the remnant. The picture is, Hey, there's right. like, maybe let's arbitrarily say 10,000 of you. A hundred of you are actually following me. 990 of you or 9,900 of you. I'm just going to completely obliterate. And then I'm going to restart with the, use the 100 and grow that back and, and they will follow me. So, and, and what's also interesting is I would be curious what do you do with when, when Jesus says, and that, this is not me like trying to debate and like, no, you're wrong. And this, I'm actually like genuinely trying to pick your ba- brain. But when Jesus says, mm-hmm. don't fear him who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Yep. So Gehenna, which was a physical location outside of the walls of Jerusalem. And I believe he was talking about Roman authorities because in the very next verse, he talks about not fearing God. Um, so he makes it very clear. It's almost a sandwich. The verse above hmm. and the verse below, he talks about not fearing God. And the verse between, he's talking about Roman authorities who can destroy certainly your soul. Um, you know, what profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? I think he's giving a very literal interpretation, hmm. um, a very literal warning to maybe Jewish rebels that want to go against the Romans, that want to make their entire fight about nationalism, hmm. um, saying you're going to lose your soul. And it would destroy your body, absolutely, in the Valley of Hinnom in Gehenna, hmm. which certainly happened during the fall of Jerusalem um, when the Romans just, you know, took over. So Interesting. I'd love to keep talking about this. That's we... where it kind of bleeds into, like, the scapegoat theory kind of thing. Yeah. That's, okay. that's where that kind of starts bleeding okay. a little bit. Yeah, but, uh, yeah we'll have to have yeah, you on for definitely. future episodes because I know we're supposed to be talking about church and we're on yeah, yeah. huge tangents, but sure, yeah. I'm just having fun. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, that's a... <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll make a that's list of topic, episodes right? we need to talk about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So, yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's good discussion. So you have a wide variety of theological differences from especially the church yes. that you were going to, right? Or just even standard evangelicalism, right? You have a pretty big difference yeah. in what like, you believe versus like what maybe their standard doctrine would be, even though a lot of people don't have yeah. a standardized like orthodoxy in evangelicalism, but just like what the popular belief is. Um, what yeah. what do you do? I guess to kind of two questions. What would it take for you to sort of want to go back to church? Do you see yourself ever wanting to do that? Um, and then also, what do you do with all of the sort of commands and even lifestyle of Jesus and Paul um, about a church and, and congregating and all that kind of stuff? The classic, like yeah. Hebrews 10, 25, yeah. don't neglect like the gathering of the saints, like all those yep. kind of verses. Definitely. Yeah. So I'll start with that, if you don't mind. Um, I think that's super important. Mm. And I think that can happen with with friends, family, a group of believers, it can really happen mm-hmm. um, really in any sense spiritually in that way mm. um, where you're edifying each other, building each other up. Um, I think the church, at least in my experience, um, has done a lot more tearing down than building up. Um, I can't tell you how many times I would sit there and just have knots in my stomach the entire time, um, being more fearful than love. Um mm. 
Uh, there's a great quote. It's just, I want to make a t-shirt of it. And if I do, like, I'm going to post it. It's from um, St. Anthony. And he said, um, I no longer fear God, but I love him. And I, I love that. It's probably my favorite quote. Um, because I do think we've gone a little too far with the fear aspect. Obviously, like Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of a loving God. Like, that's kind of the bedrock of a lot of, mm -hmm. like, the Western church. Not all of it, but a lot. Um, but no, I certainly think meeting together... Um, not being a hermit, I think um, meeting with with believers that build you up. I think meeting with believers that encourage you, um, that edify each other. I think that is essential. Mm. I think that needs to happen. Now, whether or not that needs to happen in a building called a church that is more of a business anymore than um, for sure a hospital for sinners, um, I think that's kind of the difference. Mm. Um, I think there's there's a lot of even, I mean, COVID obviously put everybody inside, but it also kind of brought the social media aspect of ministry a little more to the forefront. Not that it wasn't there before, but even more so. And that's also why I like going live quite a bit. Hmm. Um, obviously there's a lot of discussion, but I also have a lot of people in there that, that edify and build me up. Yeah. And I also have a lot of phone conversations with them as well and DM conversations. And that, that feels like church to me, hmm. right? That's my church. Um, not necessarily like the answering questions kind of stuff, maybe, but like, you know, the like-mindedness, not even that we need to agree on everything, mm -hmm. but um, just kind of that, that central point of love. So I do think, you know, absolutely like Hebrews 10, 25, all of the commands in the New Testament about meeting together, not neglecting meeting together. I think that's so important. Mm -hmm. I just think doing it in a business monopoly, such as let's mm -hmm. just saying generalization, the Western evangelical church, um, does a lot more harm than good. And I think that's mm. where you see the uh, deconstruction movement really gaining steam yeah. and becoming really, really powerful. Yeah. Uh, one, <clears throat> one like just point about the, the Hebrews verse, the thing that I think is interesting there, I do think that gathering in that kind of way is good. I don't know if it's the church though, in like my mind, and there's a lot here that I guess we could unpack, but uh, the word that's sure. used for gather in Greek there is the same word or the same root word that they get synagogue from. Um, and of course, sure. like synagogue was even corrupt, like in Jesus's time. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But he tried to reform it instead of necessarily like leaving it. Um, and so how do we mm -hmm. how do we reform or change what needs to change in the church now for you to want to like be a part of it again? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. We get, there's think... kind of two things there, I guess. There's like the what would you like want to change, but also the like, is there a difference in your mind between maybe this is a good thing to talk about first? Is there a good thing to talk, uh, or is there a difference in your mind between gathering as like just a couple believers and gathering as a church? You know what I mean? Is there a difference in that? Uh, I, yeah. So I think um, I think that's a great point as far as synagogue is concerned, but we also see a lot of examples and, and I, I apologize. I wish I had it ready, but a lot of examples as well in the new Testament where it's just like gathering together around a meal. For sure. Right. Yeah. Like that kind that's of, that's the picture of church. It. I think that in my opinion. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's where youth group is the best when you have pizza night and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. That's church. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, <laughs> if there's no pizza, it's not church. Yeah, it's not that's church. just, that's just all there is. Yeah. Um, and like coffee, we were talking about too. Got to get them all hyped up. Yeah. So, um, no, I, I think, you know, the picture in the New Testament, too, of the church being the body of Christ, right? Like, we're the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important, too, where it's not necessarily restrained in the four walls of a building. Um, now, as far as the corruption, what I want to see changed, um, 
So I've gone to an Episcopalian church mm. um, since I've left non-denominational. Um, I loved it. Mm. Um, my wife would not, for <laughs> sure. Um, it was I was by far the youngest person there, by far, nice. and they knew it too. Yeah, like I was like, whoa, and they were all just like coming and like gathering around me. It was like it awesome. was a lot, but it was great. Awesome. Um, and. And I think within the Episcopalian church, and again, you can't speak as a, as a whole necessarily, but from my experience and what I've heard, um, I think the love of God is a central doctrine. And I think everything flows from the love of God. Mm. I don't see that much in the mega churches in the non-denominational and the Baptist. I don't see it much. Mm. And again, that's kind of a lot of my issue with PSA. Um, so I think getting back to a central point of the love of God, where we're taking John seriously, mm. God is love. Um, taking that seriously and applying it to theology, applying it to how we manage our resources, applying it to how we deal with our neighbor, um, even politics in some ways, too. I see a lot of churches that are very involved in politics and um, not so much in loving neighbor. And we can get into that another time. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I think just taking John seriously. And I, and I, I kind of want to talk to that for a second. I mean, John spent so much time with Jesus, hmm. right? Like for, during the Last Supper, Peter's up there saying, you know, I'll never deny you, Lord. Like everybody else here might, hmm. but I'm not gonna, like not me. And John is just found like leaning against Jesus' chest and just like hugging him and soaking up his love, hmm. right? Um, John wrote, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. Like, I think that is so cool. Like, I want that kind of cockiness. Hmm. Like, that's so, I think everybody should view themselves that way. And then, you know, goes on to write, God is love. God is light. There's no darkness at all in him. God is love. And I think that is the single greatest theological statement of all time. I think that's the peak. Hmm. I think that's kind of the progressive revelation throughout the Old Testament. Um, and then ultimately coming to the peak, which is Jesus, who I believe was the personification of love. And then John making that grand theolog theological statement that God is love. I think the church returning to that um, is crucial. And, and not just saying, and again, this would also be an issue with eternal conscious torment. Um, not saying, you know, God loves you unconditionally without actually meaning it, mm. um, because unconditionally means, you know, of course, no conditions. Um, and then you ask them, well, does God love the beings in hell? And, um, you know, you get mixed responses mm. uh, because if God loves the beings in hell, it's like, well, why, why, uh, why would he torment them? So that's a discussion for another time. But I think I think very basically just returning to a true doctrine of God is love, making that the framework, making that the center point and, and going from there. Mm. Um, and again, I, I think my main issue, and just to kind of clarify, would mainly be the non-denominational church. Hmm. Um, I think you kind of touched on it. There's not really much orthodoxy they're really rooted in. Mm -hmm. They're kind of just like, the Bible says it, that's all there is to mm -hmm. it. And, and it's like, well, okay. <laughs> um, well, which which one are you reading? And, yeah, and, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, There's there's so much to that, right? Um, so I, I, think, I think something rooted in orthodoxy, I mean, if I had to class myself, I mean, I would definitely lean orthodox in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I love the tradition of it. Um, mm -hmm. For me, not going, it's more so my wife who grew up Pentecostal mm -hmm. and uh, would not like that very strict setting. Mm. So, <laughs> hey, you, if you could check um, out, but my main, yeah. there's a lot of like high church, like Anglican traditions that are more Pentecostal too. Um, and there are some, okay. there are some more leaning, charismatic, orthodox churches as well. Um, maybe harder to find. Yeah. Yeah, both those those, both those, those exist. Tough, yeah, it but... sounds like like yeah. how you're describing church and the things that you're talking about are things that like I similarly grew up in, had theological problems, went to a church where 
I read in the Bible, let your giving be done in secret. And then the pastor talking about a sermon on giving, giving someone money and talking about, oh, I was just led by the Lord. The Lord just highlighted that person to me. So I just gave him 20 bucks in front of the whole church. And I'm just like, mm, Bible says not to do that. Yeah. And like having those yeah, problems yeah. and stuff like that and, and questions. And then like, I don't know. I, I just think like, if I can just be candid, I just think maybe you just went to a few bad churches, especially like in the mega church aspect. You know what I mean? Because like the church we go to now is like, continuationist bible believing bible teaching connected to a larger body still would i would they consider them non-denom yeah non-denom but like a network of churches with accountability and community really emphasizes the community aspect and getting plugged into a small group and eating and, together yeah like every month, month that there's a fifth sunday we do what we we're in hawaii so we call sure. it ohana sunday and it's like a big party after church nice. everyone eats everyone brings like a it's a potluck so everyone mm -hmm. brings food and it's nice. small, it's like a hundred people, right? And so like I also nice. went to like mega churches and felt the loneliness as well and felt like the I just disagree theologically there, but where's the safety to express that? And then trying to talk to people and being like, Oh, but yeah. you're not really about it like that. Like it feels like a business. Right? Yeah, it feels like a business and they, they make they yeah. make the yeah. salaries based upon like how many members there which and is all insane. Like which is like there's there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into it behind the scenes that I became aware of. And I still think they're Christians. Yeah. I know they love Jesus genuinely. I have a lot of friends that go there and I love them. And I, I and I would I would worship God with them, even though I have yeah, all those things where sure. I'm like, ah, I just disagree on like the methodology about this stuff, right? And how big churches get. Maybe there should, like we, we know some people who's a friend of ours, their parents are church planters. And when their church got to like 150 people, they would split and be like, all right, we're going to send 75 over here and 75 over here or stay. And then when those guys grow, we're going to, we're always going to stay small. It's like the, mm -hmm. in church planting language is the idea of an elephant versus That's rabbits beautiful. where elephants are really big and move yeah. really powerfully, but they reproduce really slow and rabbits are really small, but they reproduce really fast. So smaller churches reproduce. If you keep them small, they'll just spread out a lot, which mm -hmm. I think is a more biblical model. But yeah, I would think that based on everything you're saying, I empathize with a lot of it. And I found that for me, it was just, oh, I just had to try a couple different churches. Mm. I just had to move across the country to the middle of nowhere in the Pacific <laughs> ocean. <laughs> but no, I genuinely like, yeah, I just want to encourage you that there's, there's so many good churches out there. I went, I know house church networks mm. back home that I'm aware of now that are doing that, like acts model of like having a meal together, studying the scriptures and, the, and they don't go to a corporate church. They just have their community groups and they have a couple of different yeah. pockets around the state of like, Oh, and, and they're all like 15 minutes, 20 minutes away from each other. Like, Oh, go here mm. and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. And I appreciate you sharing that. And and I would certainly agree. I think there does need to be a point where a church gets so big that it needs to split. Hmm. Um, and I think that's my issue. I've never heard of that. Honest to God, I've, I've never heard of that. Mm -hmm. Really? Um, everything in my experience, even here in Western Pennsylvania, I've never seen that. Um, it's always been grow, 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 grow. Oh, we need a new campus because we have more people. And they would just move to another campus and then close down that old one, hmm. right? Like it wasn't like, um, getting a split or anything like that. It was always just, how big can we get? And then once we get really, really big, we fill out this giant mega building. We're going to open another campus. Sister campus. But we're not going to actually satellite. split. We're, gonna, we're just going to keep We're just going to move. Yeah, right? I, and I saw that method um, too. Yeah, it was like from a school to a building to a bigger building. And it's like, I don't, yes. and it's like, hey, if that, if you can do that well, I think if you can do it well, do it well. Like I think like Matt Chandler, I don't go to his church. I just listen to his podcast. I know, but as I know, it's a mega church. I'm like, by all means about the preaching and his character, I'm like, that's the best way I've seen it done. Or maybe like John Piper maybe does it well, although he retired. But 
I think the far more, more biblical approach to church is meeting and having a meal together, reading the scriptures and teaching. Everyone you know, can like, use their gifts. Like Paul tells Timothy or Titus, one of those guys, both of them pastors, he says to publicly read scripture, don't ignore preaching or teaching. But mm-hmm. also the, then the Acts Foundation was they we met together and had a meal and some had a spiritual psalm and some had a, song, a, a prayer. And, and it's the idea that everyone at this community is involved and giving rather than consumerism, which is something Darren and I were talking about before the podcast mm. is how church has become very consumer consumeristic, right? Where people come and, and yes. sit and like, I just want to receive, I want to be fed and go. And it's like, ah, no, but like you're called, to, you have gifts that God's given you that you're called to give to the church because we need your gift. Mm. And like, we can't survive without you. Yeah. And maybe that's where we all have yep. a commonality with churches is we churches need to do a better job of helping people use their gift to benefit the world and the church rather than just receive from the pastor and the worship team, a good emotional time. Yeah. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, the church that I hear you guys describing sounds very foreign to me. Um, truthfully, um, hmm. the one that I, I am very familiar with and, and, and not even that I went to all giant mega churches. There was also one that was pretty close to where I grew up where I was baptized in. It was a relatively smaller, like not a mega church by any means. Um, and even there, as far as like your gifts are concerned, um, like, so say the Lord gave you a gift in music, which he certainly didn't grant me. Um, he just decided not to give me that one. Just not, not in the cards. Um, it would be very hard to get in that because mm. from what I've always seen, what I've experienced was the clicks was, oh, we're full. Mm. We're full. Like, sorry, it's full. Like that, that's just, you know what I mean? And it's kind of very easily clumps and it very easily, no, these, these are our gifts and we were here first. <laughs> um, yeah. And then when I started merging more so into the mega church setting, forget about it. Um, if you didn't have the certain look, if, um, you gotta well, wear the Chelsea the boots and the hats. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you certainly got to have the look. And if you don't have the look, you're certainly not getting on stage. Um, and again, very similar in that click mentality but more so even on the look um even if you look at a lot of these mega churches social media it's like they're the most attractive people you're ever going to see like the people you see worshiping it's like all the ones in the front row that make sure that those it's those people right and everybody in the back ah, sit back there you know what i mean like um so like just for musical ability for that instance and then the only way you can really serve is be the camera guy you know what i mean and, and that's okay to like start like i i don't think there's a problem with that but if the Lord's giving you specific gifts, I find it extremely difficult, if not impossible, to fulfill them in the the large non-denominational mega churches. Yeah, yeah, the large mega church is hard because yeah, it says the the gifts like the fivefold ministry are there to equip the 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 saints for the ministry, right? Right. And so it's like, hey, congregation, you're supposed to be out there sharing the gospel as are us fivefold ministry people everyone's supposed to every christian is given the mandate to share the gospel like that jesus said go into all the world and preach the gospel right Mm. and so every so we're supposed to teach people how to use their gifts to bring the gospel bring the kingdom of god to people's lives right and so that's a lot the equipping aspect is where it's like well how do we do that and yeah it's really like the church that we go to now that i'm talking about was like incredibly foreign to me too like i remember I started going there because I went there and they're like, oh, we're going to preach through the book of Exodus. And I was like, so foreign. I was like, wait, wait, you're preaching? Like you're just reading a verse and then preaching about that verse? Hmm. And they're like, yeah. And I was talking to Derry about it. I was like, dude, I've never gone to a church that didn't have a four-week 
sermon series that was very topical based on the season of the year we're in. January comes yeah. and it's all about new life or it's a new year. We're going after, we're being inspired, passionate. February comes Valentine's day. We're having a four week sermon on love and how we can love each other. And then March comes at springtime, new life, summer. It's getting close to 4th of July. Let's have a series on freedom and the freedom we have in Christ and back to school in the fall. And we're talking, <laughs> and it's like, you know, I get like, it was like every, every year repeated itself. Right. And so going to a church where they're like, we're preaching through Exodus. And then I go to Asia for two and a half months on a mission trip. And I come back and they're still in Exodus. And I'm like, wow, you guys are awesome. Like this and somehow tying Exodus every week to the gospel. I'm like, this is amazing. Like I've never been to a church like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. it was also foreign to me, but it's like really encouraging to know that that exists. And mm. I, I, I'm sure we could probably have some connections out in mm. Western Pennsylvania, maybe. How far mm. are you from Boston? I know there's one of our campuses in Boston. Oh, oh, I'm far. I'm, I don't know eight hours maybe oh dude that's a little more just yes yeah, every sunday night. it's not a big deal yeah just a quick yeah. a quick flight don't you yeah. love god bro come on yeah. there's 24 hours in a day. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome oh, yeah that's nothing would you say that's you nothing. have but no i i oh yeah. sorry go ahead no no i'm just gonna say i appreciate everything you said there um as far as it being foreign but but that kind of style um where it stays small it's intentionally small where it can however big you can get while staying healthy, mm. I think is kind of the test, right? As soon as you start losing health, um, which obviously covers a variety of different ways, but um, just a generalization of health, I think we have an issue. Mm. Um, it's like the Hill Songs, for example. I mean, <laughs> like I said, I was going to Hillsong College. Mm. Um, right. So, uh, yeah, no, that, that, that model. And, and, you know, I do lives all the time, like, ex-Christians, why did you leave? Like, tell me your story. Right. Like, I'm not here to debate. I literally just want to hear. Um, and church hurt is 80%. Um, wow. And then the other, maybe maybe 10, 15% of some of the other one is, um, you know, I read the Bible. Mm-hmm. I read the Bible. I was told to read the Bible, I read the Bible. And then the other, like, 5 or 10% is just crazies. But, like, most of them like, yeah, like I, I think, I think it's just theological malpractice by a lot of the church. Hmm. Um, it gets too big. It can't stay healthy and it needs to come up with these very cookie cutter sermons where it doesn't actually shepherd the congregation into, you know, here's how you read your Bible, hmm. like right. that kind of stuff, right. right. Making sure it's healthy. And they just kind of give you the, bleh, and yeah. hope something sticks. And, uh, that's, that's certainly not the way we should be doing church. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Would you say you have a desire to find a church that you'd like in, or do you not think it's necessarily not to find something? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Even, even what last two weeks or so I messaged, I, uh, I emailed like probably 12 Orthodox churches in my wow. area. That's awesome. It was just like asking them questions. Yeah. And there was one that I was like, yeah, this, this church sounds cool. It's like an hour and a half away from me. But, um, Again, my issue right now, truly, um, not that I don't think those churches exist where I would line up pretty well theologically. Like, mm-hmm. I, I definitely think they do exist. No, to a T, no. Of course. But, like, enough for me to sit there and not be like, this God sounds totally foreign to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and feel like I can actually receive. Um, yeah, I definitely think those exist. I think it would probably be an Orthodox church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, like, a lot of the tradition and stuff, like, I find – I find a lot of peace in that because I think within mm. tradition, within structure, I think um, kind of gets rid of all the fluff that I'm so used to seeing, like all the, you know, mm. the fog machines and the, the strobe lights. That's and the glory cloud. All this kind of fluff. 
The fog yeah. machine is the glory cloud. Come on, dude. <laughs> expensive, expensive clouds there. I remember um, I was uh, I was in a, a meeting one time and they were talking about like, oh yeah, we just got the fog machine fixed. And so I was like, yeah, we love the fog machine. And they made the joke like, the glory of the Lord. And I thought to myself, I didn't say it out loud because I was like, I'll like, immediately get kicked out. But I was like, yeah, because like, yeah, you got to make it artificial. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was like, wow. chill. I was like, chill, they're Christians. That's love good. them. Love them. That's good. Dang. That's good. Though. Yeah. I just like to troll and play wrong. devil's um, advocate. So. Yeah. I don't know if you're. But no, absolutely. I don't know if yeah, you're a part absolutely. of like the, the the ortho bros like TikTok kind of stream, but there's a whole bunch of like the orthodox bros like. Is that on, what they say? Ortho TikTok. bros? Yeah, they're called ortho bros, um, on on TikTok. Bro. But a lot of them will recommend if you're trying to find an orthodox church that you just go talk to the priest because uh, the priest like will have an individual conversation with you, unlike a lot of pastors. Like they recommend if you're looking at going to a church that you just go and like have several meetings with their priests. So you can talk about theology and what you agree and don't agree with. Could be something you could do. Could be fun. Or maybe they'll do oh, a phone call great. or a yeah. Zoom call with you or something if it's far away. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, like within the last two weeks or so, I reached out to so many of them and I got some good responses. Hmm. Um, my main thing right now, I, I, I don't ever see myself stepping foot into a non-denominational church again mm-hmm. um for attendance I, I just don't um um but certainly finding a church i think it would be great um my wife my wife just doesn't love going as deep theologically as i do mm-hmm. again kind of grew up pentecostal not that we disagree on things it's just it's not like theology doesn't quite get her jazzed up right. you know what i mean like when there's good theology preached i'm like oh yes this feels so good and i could just sit here and receive um so yeah, I guess it's just finding a good, healthy mix. Because if it was just me, yeah, I'd 100% be in a church. Hmm. Um, but, you know, it's me, my wife, and, and my son. So Yeah. Um, well, we find something. Yeah, let's try to find a good fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah me too. I appreciate that. Um, but I think we found a lot of common ground here as far as just yeah um, a lot of the toxicity in the church, a lot of the issues. And hmm. I think they are issues. Um, and And just hope that, you know the deconstruction movement brings those to light and mm. that ultimately the church can just return to, to health um, and return to a loving God. So yeah, that's my absolutely. hope. Cool. Yeah. Well, we're excited to have you on again soon, hopefully to talk about the other yeah. issues that we brought up today and, and go deeper. Um, I think we had a good conversation, yeah. like you said, and yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Is, uh, is there anywhere again, okay. you want to plug like your original, great original glory ministries, TikTok, Instagram. Yeah. Just TikTok, Instagram. They're two different vibes. Instagram, I typically do just like a lot of quotes and just a lot of things like that. And TikTok, it's like me going live and like trendy videos and all that crap. Right. So like just pick your poison. Um, <laughs> but yeah, either of those two is, is great. So mm, Cool. Well, yeah, guys, you know where to find them. You know where to find us. Like, subscribe, all that good stuff. I'll see you next week.